Today on Blue 58, the Packers dropped their second primetime game in a row, this time to the genuinely bad Las Vegas Raiders. So what does that say about the Packers? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here for another episode. I want to start by apologizing for my unexpected absence for the last week or so. We haven't been with you since we recapped the Packers' last game, a loss to the Lions, we now return with a loss to the Las Vegas Raiders. I'll give you more details about what exactly transpired during the time away. At the end of the episode, if you care to stick around, we've got some family stuff going on. I can give you more details at the end if that's something you are interested in hearing. But as far as the matter at hand goes, a tough one. Because of what I've been working on for the past week or so, I really came into this game pretty blind. But broadly speaking, I knew two things about this game. I knew two things about the Raiders. First, the Raiders generally, I don't think are considered to be very good. Most people seem to think the Raiders are a pretty bad team. They're fairly limited offensively. They've had trouble even with their good players. They don't score a lot. They've got a lot of different issues. Josh Jacobs is not having a good season. Devontae Adams doesn't seem particularly happy. Then you've got Jimmy Garoppolo steering the whole ship in the right situation. He can be a very good quarterback. He doesn't seem to be elevating the Raiders to this point of the season. And I feel like I should just call them the Oakland Raiders just one time to get it out of the way since I know it's coming. I'm going to just slip up and call them the Oakland Raiders. The Las Vegas Raiders is what they are. But sooner or later, I'm going to say Oakland Raiders. In any case, most people seem to think that the Raiders aren't very good. The other thing that I knew coming into this game is that Raiders defensive end or edge rusher or whatever you want to call him, Max Crosby, is really good. He's a good player. He, other than Devontae Adams, is probably the best player on the Raiders right now. So I think we came into this game poised for a bit of a referendum. Basically a two-fold sort of situation. One thing presenting on offense, one thing presenting on defense. As far as the offense goes, basically the thinking seemed to be If the Packers can't move the ball and move it consistently on the Raiders, who seem to have a pretty bad defense outside of Max Crosby, something is seriously wrong with our offense. On the Packers' defense, the point seemed to be that if we can't stop the Raiders, something is seriously wrong with our defense. Well, about that. On offense, the Packers really didn't move the ball for a variety of defense for a variety of reasons, which we will get into here in a second. As far as the defensive portion of the referendum, generally, I feel like they did enough to win this game. Situationally, some bumps, some of the third down stuff wasn't always great. Some of the the short yardage stuff wasn't great. The run defense spotty at times, but generally pretty good. It should have been a 20-point game for the Raiders with the missed field goal there at the end, but still, holding a team to 20 points should be enough that you can say, okay, offense, you should be able to get us a win here. But other than a couple of those bumps in a row, in the road, Josh Jacobs, just 69 yards on 20 attempts, a long of 24. Do the math yourself beyond that. Generally speaking, they held him in check. As a team, the Raiders, 96 yards on 26 rushing attempts, much better than where the Packers had been previously. Again, the Raiders aren't very good, but at least the Packers' defense in that respect was holding up their end of the bargain. Devontae Adams, who should terrify you if you are an opposing fan. We saw the effects from the other side for a long time of what Devontae Adams can do to an opposing defense. He wrecks everything for you. But the Packers 
held him to four catches for 45 yards, not too shabby. A long of 21 for Adams, generally speaking, it seems like everything's pointed in the right direction, at least as far as the defense goes. So how do you end up with this loss? How do you end up with a 17-13 to loss? I think it really boils down to three things. First, the play calling. Matt LaFleur, to put it, I think, simply, seems to have called a scared game here, which is somewhat fair. The offensive line wasn't great against the Raiders. If anybody's going to wreck the game for you, it's probably going to be Max Crosby. You have to account for a guy like that in your game plan. And to that end, I feel like I've probably seen about enough of Rasheed Walker. I don't know what we're doing with Yash Nyman at this point. I don't know what the plan is with him in Green Bay. But that the Packers are just content to to let Walker be out there. You know, who's pretty good at times in pass protection. But the down-in, down-out roller coaster ride has was tough to watch at times today. But that stuff aside, just game plan-wise... A lot, a lot of questions here. Packers seem to run a lot of screens for a team full of guys with no real yard after the catch gaining ability. A.J. Dillon certainly isn't that kind of a guy, and Patrick Taylor is basically A.J. Dillon, but a little bit taller and a little bit lighter. He's not a big yard after the catch threat either. Running screens for those guys doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, and the same kind of goes for Romeo Dobbs and even Jaden Reed to this point. Neither of those guys are big, we're going to get yards for you after the catch type players. But a lot of them present in the game plan today. Packers also called a lot of lateral runs for a team full of guys with no real speed to the edge. We can sit here and talk about A.J. Dillon and the season he's having all day. But I think everybody would agree that if you're going to get the most out of A.J. Dillon, the preferred package of plays does not involve a lot of runs to the edge. And to be fair, they have minimized those over the past few weeks. There's a lot more of A.J. Dillon going north and south and a lot less of him trying to get around the edge. But it still pops up with just about everybody else, and the Packers just do not seem to have the guys either in the backfield or up front to make that happen. The Packers also chose to block Max Crosby with tight ends specifically tight ends whose main weakness in college scouting reports seem to go something like, yeah, this guy, we're not sure he can block. Well, that hasn't changed in the NFL. Luke Musgrave is still not an asset as a blocker and asking him to do things like even chipping Max Crosby seems like a big ask for him at this point, but having him or Tucker Craft or Ben Sims really try to focus on making a difference against Max Crosby does not seem to be the wisest idea. Now I can see the flip side here. You can say, well, they had no offensive line. The offensive line has been rough. They've got no Aaron Jones. But really, I have grown a little bit weary of those as defenses of Matt LaFleur, specifically specifically as they pertain to this game. It has seemed like for a few days, at least, that Aaron Jones has not been trending toward playing. Going back and reading some reports, And based on information we received after the game, it sounds like Jones had a a setback on Sunday. He had been ruled questionable for this game long before that, though. So I don't know how you can really say that, well, we, we were planning to have Jones out there. How much were you really planning to have a guy who was questionable anyway out there to begin with? 
The Packers haven't had David Bakhtiari since week one, so using his absence as evidence of a beat-up offensive line kind of rings a little bit hollow to me. Elton Jenkins was back, and even 80% of Elton Jenkins is better than Rice Newman. At this point, with Jones out, you're essentially just missing one starter. I don't know if you can call Bakhtiari even like a preferred starter at this point, more of a nice-to-have sort of thing. So him aside, Jones was the only guy really missing today. And yet we got a game plan that seemed fundamentally ill-suited to the guys that the Packers had out there, centered entirely around being afraid of Max Crosby. After Matt LaFleur's play calling, you have Jordan Love. For the first time, I thought he looked genuinely scared out on the field. And again, somewhat fair if your offensive line is not going to get you protection with Max Crosby running all over the place. I would be scared too. Nothing to be done really for that other than just acting as though you're not scared because being scared helps nothing. Yeah, it's scary to have an all-pro pass rusher coming after you every play. You just got to deal with it. And I think he was genuinely not great tonight. And I think we have to say things like that. He was missing short throws. He was missing deep throws. And he wasn't helped by the play calling. So it wasn't a great night for Jordan Love. But related to that, the third and final thing I think contributed to this loss is that Jordan's love, Jordan Love's help wasn't there at all. Drops left and right. Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson in particular, not, not bringing it in when the ball comes their way. Romeo Dobbs, for all we've said about him being stronger with his hands and stronger at the catch point, did not look that today. And Christian Watson, just three catches on nine targets. One of his three catches, a incredibly broken play where he's got a layup of a catch and then just as much room to run as he wants. Okay, that that's good. But that's a lot of other targets where things are not breaking your way as Jordan Love if you're throwing to the guy who's supposed to be your top top playmaker. Watson, too, not real great with contact, huh? On Love's at on two of Love's interceptions, he was going to Christian Watson, and I think you could make the case that on both of them, he got bodied out of the play. The play where Marcus Peters got his hand on the ball, okay, that was behind behind him, it appeared to be at least, but he still got bumped off the ball, allowing Peters in there. Then the ball goes up in the air and you come down with interception number two. But on the final throw, I initially, talking about it with friends, put a lot more of that throw on Jordan Love. And I I don't think it was a great decision by Love, but Watson really made no effort to break up that play at all. Didn't do his quarterback any favors. I think we can we can broadly say that, that Watson didn't help Love a lot today. Meanwhile, A.J. Dillon averaging 3.8 yards per carry in his best running game of the year. I mean, he, was, he seemed better, but it's still not great. And then you've got the Packers struggling on third downs, which is really easy to do when you're ending up in third and a mile all the time. I don't have my final numbers in front of me, but on the Packers, of the Packers' first four drive-ending third down conversion fails. You had something like third and eight, third and 10, third and 10, and third and 11, or something along those lines. It was either their first four or the third down ending plays on three of their four, first four drives. In any case, the Packers were facing a lot of third and longs early. That seemed to be the trend throughout the game. The Packers got behind the sticks, and then you get into third and long, and then you're afraid of Max Crosby. You don't have anything in your playbook for getting yourself out of that situation. All of that adds up to a game 
where you only score 13 points despite your defense putting you in position to win. Just think about that. The Packers had scored 13 points and took over with, what, two minutes left, minute and a half left, with a chance to win the game. That's the kind of defensive performance the Packers got, admittedly, against the Raiders, pretty low bar, and that's the kind of defensive performance the Packers' offense wasted. We don't even have to blame it on any one person in particular. Not Matt LaFleur, not Jordan Love, not Watson, not Dobbs. You don't have to pick anybody. You could just say the Packers' offense let down the defense today. And so here the Packers sit at 2-3. and three. What does it all mean? We'll get to that in a second. First, we've got to do our, two, our three good things and three bad things. Kind of stretched a little bit to get the three good things today, but I think we've got two legitimately good ones on defense. Plus, we'll throw in one there, one more there for good, good measure. thought the pass rush was generally very good tonight. Rashawn Gary gets another sack. Kenny Clark is halfway to his career high of six sacks with three through five games. He has at least half a sack now in four straight games. Kenny Clark doing some work here in the early portions of the season. It seems like moving him out to defensive end was a productive move by Joe Barry and the Packers' defensive staff. Love to see Rudy Ford getting a pick. Look, Rudy Ford is not a perfect player. Packers really don't have many guys who could even claim to be perfect players on defense. But Rudy Ford also gives you everything that he's got on every single play, for better or for worse. Does he sometimes run himself out of positions? Absolutely. But I would rather have Rudy Ford getting into bad angles or bad positions because he's going so hard after the play that he overruns it than say, ha-ha, Clinton Dix taking a long, meandering angle that still puts him in a bad position to make a play, but also he you know, doesn't get his heart rate up on the play much at all either because, well, he would just rather cruise around there in the deep secondary hoping somebody tips a ball up in the air than he can run under. At least Ford is going out and kind of just emptying the clip each and every week. Just whatever he's got in the chamber for you, you're going to get all of it. And sometimes it's going to result in him getting an interception. Sometimes it's going to result in him missing a tackle. But that's just kind of the Rudy Ford experience. And in in some ways, it is fun to ride that roller coaster. Finally, A.J. Dillon. At least today, it seemed like he was running hard. I don't know if A.J. Dillon would ever really be described as an angry runner. That's often used as a compliment for guys that just run real hard, really get their body behind their pads, make the defense pay. There really hasn't been A.J. Dillon to this point in his career. But tonight, he was at least making people, it seemed, feel those 247 pounds. He's at least putting his body into people and running fairly hard, at least I think the hardest we've seen him all this season. Sure, the stat line doesn't look great, but I think he was generally more effective than we've seen from him to this point in the season. On the bad side, we have plenty to choose from. I think so many things to choose from that it's almost hard to pick specific things. It just was a kind of unending blah game. So many just underwhelming things that nothing really stands out as particularly bad. But taken in aggregate, I think we can say that the Packers playmakers are were pretty underwhelming today. The guys, I mean, maybe Jordan Love wasn't great, but to return to an earlier point, he did not get a lot of help from the guys that are supposed to be helping him. Christian Watson, three catches on nine targets. You got the 77-yard busted play. Hooray, finally. Yeah, that that's great. 
you should be able to take advantage of stuff like that. But outside of the the Raiders just completely screwing something up, he was not really a huge factor today and at least partially responsible for two interceptions. Romeo Dobbs, one catch for four yards. Jaden Reed, one catch and equals his catch total with his tackle total. One tackle on the day two, cleaning up after an interception. Luke Musgrave, six catches for 34 yards. This is the Packers' 2023 offense. We can't count on a 29-year-old running back to make things better if this is what you were trying to build around. And you just can't get more than that out of these guys. Three catches for Watson, one catch for Dobbs, one catch for Reed. Shoot, throw Dontavian Wicks in there too. One catch for Wicks for 10 yards. That's six catches between your top four wide receivers and then 34 yards on six catches for your athletic marvel of a young tight end. That's all you got? That's all you can come up with? Not enough. It was not enough. Then you've got the Packers' weirdness in the red zone. The entire sequence after the Packers got that pick by Rudy Ford was a little bit weird, but the the ending there especially strange to me. You, you've got two plays that you have essentially Christian Watson on the backside of the formation, one where you need him to be the backside seal on a run play, a choice if you want to make that, and then another play where you've got Jordan Love rolling away from Christian Watson to fire the ball out of the back of the end zone, not even having an opportunity to look for Watson, who supposedly is your best wide receiver. It's an unusual way to sequence a trip into the red zone in a very, very tight game. And then just to throw it out there, I'm kind of sick of seeing Jimmy Garoppolo pick apart the Packers. I mean, when he's got to make plays, maybe not make plays, but just got to make the right decisions on a third and four, just always having him come up with what seems like the right play, it's annoying. It's just annoying to see a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo taking the Packers apart Season after season after season. We saw him in 2019. We saw him in 2021. And now we get to see him with the Raiders here in 2023. Just making it so the Packers cannot come out of a game with a win. I'm really just tired of seeing the Packers lose to Jimmy Garoppolo. So getting philosophical here, what does it all mean? Kind of coming out of this game with questions. Because I don't know what it means. But what is the Packers' identity right now. I don't know if there's ever going to be an answer for that on defense. I don't know if Joe Barry is firm enough in his scheme and his tendencies and what he wants to do with the Packers for the Packers to have an identity in that respect. But on offense, what is the Packers' identity right now? Because it seems, at least like the best that I can come up with is, let's hope Aaron Jones bails us out. That's really what we saw from the the offense in week one. The big cross-field throwback screen to Aaron Jones that goes for the big gainer. The fourth and three catch and run for the touchdown. It was the, the Aaron Jones show. He was the difference maker for the offense that week. And they haven't had him really effectively since then. He was around for the Thursday night game against the Lions, but not in any meaningful sense. And Now again, against the Raiders, the Packers don't have him, and they don't seem to have anything they can do on offense. What are they trying to be? It's not clear from what we've seen through five weeks. What are they in light of that? Again, it doesn't seem clear. And it's 
I think, a little bit concerning that the Packers go into this game other than Aaron Jones with, I think, what you'd call their their preferred 2023 offense. Yeah, David Bakhtiari isn't out there, but all their skill position players that they want are on the field other than Aaron Jones. Jordan Love is out there. And what does that get you against one of the worst defenses in the NFL? 13 points and three interceptions. Woof, I guess is is about all you can say. And related to that, you start getting to some scarier questions. If the Packers don't have an identity and they don't seem to have an identity when they functionally have all of their top offensive players, how many of these problems do you just lay at the feet of Matt LaFleur? Yeah, maybe Jordan Love doesn't play well. Yeah, maybe all his supporting cast also doesn't play well. That is true. They didn't play particularly well. But it also didn't seem like they were in a position where the Packers were ready to take advantage of what any one of those guys does well. And so here I am wondering if Matt LaFleur is in a position where he can put together a functional team here in 2023. Because we're Four, we're five weeks in now. We're a month into the season. We should be past the getting to know you phase. We had three weeks of preseason football. We've now had five weeks of regular season football. If the Packers offense is still this disjointed this far in, is it ever going to get figured out this season? Fortunately, the Packers have a bye week coming out. So if anything's going to get figured out, now is the time. The Packers can get healthy, as healthy as they possibly can be. They can get everybody back on the field and get things sorted out as they head to Denver to take on the Broncos. And if they would happen to lose to the Denver Broncos, I mean, we can't ever, can we ever really say that the sky is falling in 2023 if the Packers themselves didn't expect them to, you know, to be particularly good? How upset can we really be? I think that's, that is true. But if you lose to the Denver Broncos, what are you really building towards anyway? If this team that has all these guys that you've essentially handpicked to be the version of the Packers that you want to be as you head into this new Jordan Love era, or whatever era you want to call this, the post-Rogers era, I guess, and he put down another stinker to another bad team, you start to raise some real questions about the people building and running this team. Many people have had those questions for a while. Not entirely fair, I don't think. But if this is how you wanted the Packers to be, and you've got everybody out there who should be making this team go, and you're putting up performances like this, nobody should be escaping scrutiny. Not Brian Gutekunst, not Matt LaFleur, not Jordan Love. The questions are coming if the Packers can't at least look more competent than they looked against the Raiders. Let's talk about some rookies. Lucas Van Ness, not an overwhelming statistical performance today. One solo tackle and one assist. Luke Musgrave, six catches for 34 yards, as we've said a couple times now. Uh, Jaden Reed, one catch for seven yards. Also worth noting that he is getting moved off punt returner on kind of an intermittent basis, depending on what the Packers need. I don't know if that's a great 
choice, I mean, production-wise, at least you feel confident that Keyshawn Nixon is going to go back there and catch the ball, but I haven't really worried about that with Reed to this point this season. Maybe they're just looking for a spark from a guy that has not a care in the world in Keyshawn Nixon about what happens to him when he is running with the ball. Maybe that's the spark the Packers need sometimes. Tucker Craft, no recordable stats in this one, though he did play. Colby Wooden, one assist tackle, seems firmly behind Carl Brooks at this point. Sean Clifford, another DNP today. Great job, Sean. That is exactly where we want you at this point. Dontavion Wicks, one catch for 10 yards. Of note, because I know someone that had a what they described as a large amount of money on the over-under for Dontavion Wicks' yards in this game, at least on the betting site that they used, that was set at 7.5 yards. It was a tight Tight thing there for a while because he went well into this game without a catch. But I'm glad for my my buddy that that paid out there, Um, even if I don't gamble myself. You can root for your friends, right? Carl Brooks finishes the game two tackles. No no other noteworthy stats there at all. Uh, But I think, and I'm I'm just guessing here, but I think we'll look at the the snap counts tomorrow and and see that he outsnapped Colby Wooden again. Uh, that seems to be the situation we're heading for for the balance of the season this year. Anders Carlson, unlike his brother, perfect tonight and still perfect on the season. Carrington Valentine did play but had no stats. Anthony Johnson, inactive. Malik Heath, inactive today. Emmanuel Wilson played but had no stats, as did Brenton Cox. We'll talk more about Brenton Cox here in a second. Finally, cleaning out the notebook. Always start with uniforms. I feel like the Packers have just had a phenomenal start to the season in in terms of their uniform matchups, and this was another great one. Uh, Packers-Raiders, about as classic of a look as you can get, and under the lights in primetime, really not a lot to complain about there. But seriously, though, the Packers uh, have faced the Bears on the road. Uh, The Bears' home uniforms versus the Packers' road uniforms is always a good look. We got to see the Falcons and their throwbacks in Week 2. Packers-Saints was a good-looking game in Week 3. Packers-Lions at Lambeau always looks pretty good. Uh, the Packers tend to look not quite as good when they play in Detroit uh, just because of their lighting situation, uh, making their yellow look a lot yellower than I think it normally does or needs to. And then tonight, it, it's a great-looking start to the season, even if it, the product hasn't always been great on the field. At least the Packers and their opponents have looked stylish together. Speaking of style and presentation and things like that, interesting to see how ESPN skews a little bit between over- and under-produced sometimes. They really lean into the pageantry for a lot of stuff. But I, I almost laughed out loud when I saw it. I haven't had a chance to sit down and watch Monday Night Football tonight. You may not have even noticed it um, just sitting there watching but it's conspicuous in how different it has it's been from the past think back tonight how did the the how did the ESPN broadcast present the starting lineups for both teams just a list of names on the screen feels very 90s almost a throwback and compared to the the over the top stuff that like Sunday night football does or Monday night football used to do but just a list of names and the positions that they play uh, chuckled to myself when i saw it on the screen it's weird how much that stands out now. Moving right along, this game was shaped at least in part by a couple of roster moves the Packers made prior to the game. Uh, Patrick Taylor was signed to the 53-man roster. He is out of practice squad elevation, so the Packers had to move him to the 53 
formally, which meant signing him to a real contract. To free up space, the Packers uh, cleared out Justin Hollins. They released Justin Hollins. Um, in context, it like in a vacuum, I think that would be that would sound surprising. In a vacuum, I think you can you can see pretty quickly how that makes total sense. Uh, Rashawn Gary no longer on a pitch count of any kind. Lucas Van Ness getting healthier. Edge snaps are going to be at a premium. And with the Packers apparently pretty high on Brenton Cox still, they figure he might as well clear up maybe some cap space and get one of your younger younger players that you have under control for longer, some more time. I'll be interested. I didn't notice him out, out there on defense at all, but I, I will be interested to see how much Cox actually played in this game. We will find out very soon. A.J. Dillon recorded what I would define as his first real explosive play of the season this week. He had a nice cutback on what looked like a split zone look. Uh, Elton Jenkins may even have pulled on that. I know for a fact that Luke Luke Musgrave was kicking out a backside um, defender there, and Dylan just kind of cut nicely behind him right up the field, but uh, a, a nice nifty little play uh, by A.J. Dillon. Speaking of firsts for the season and for career, we've got to make note of Ben Sims getting his first career catch signed as a free agent after he was released by the, the Vikings, or I guess claimed on waivers technically uh, in the final roster cutdowns, his first NFL catch today. Always cool to take note of stuff like that. Wanted to highlight uh, some nifty backfield stuff that the Packers have done this season. I think we mentioned one of these in passing where A.J. Dillon was lined up in the backfield like a, a split shotgun look with a back to either side of, of Jordan Love with Josiah DeGuara. Might have been back in week one or week two. They brought that back uh, again tonight. I like the play design other than, I think, Christian Watson uh, blocking on the backside there. But it seemed to be an interesting way to scheme up a little bit of a, a lead look out of shotgun with A.J. Dillon going behind Josiah DeGuara. The play itself didn't work, but I like to see that in the backfield. We also had a, a true pony backfield at least one time featuring Emmanuel Wilson and Patrick Taylor. It resulted in a play where Emmanuel Wilson was was going out wide potentially as a lead blocker, but Taylor elected not to go that route. Uh, just uh, if you're looking for for something to be interested in, or at least excited about innovation wise in the Packers offense, the way that the Packers have moved guys around in shotgun and pistol stuff, I think it is interesting and maybe not groundbreaking, but it's a a nice little wrinkle that the Packers have brought in in this year. Finally, want to finish on. A curious game management decision, I thought, by Josh McDaniels to end the game. I I always wonder, I always get nervous just as a, a fan of football. Now, obviously, I want the Packers to have a chance to win, but I get nervous in situations where coaches are have a chance to either seal the game or keep a loss in play. But with the, the Raiders driving at the end of the game, facing a fourth and one right about the two-minute warning, they're up four points, and McDaniels elects to kick a field goal to make it a seven-point game. All you're doing there is, you know, taking a loss out of play and putting overtime in play. But you also have a chance to end the game. If the Raiders can convert one fourth down and get one yard, the game is over. The Packers don't get another chance to have the ball and win or tie. It's not my job. I don't have to make that call, but I, I was sitting there at on the couch at home and couldn't help but think, boy, I think I would probably go for this here. 
and he had plenty of time to think about it because he had the two-minute warning there, I think I probably would have gone for it. Seeing what the the Raiders' defense had done to the Packers' offense through the first, what, 58 minutes of the game, seeing uh, Max Crosby scare everyone in the Packers' offense, I like my chances of the Packers not getting down the field and, and scoring a touchdown. I might try to just end the game right there. Instead, he makes a play where you either, you know, the, the Packers can play for a tie, or if you miss, the loss is still in play. Game management stuff is, I think it, it gets a reputation of being easier than it probably is because you've got so many things to manage as a head coach. If you've never coached sports, you know, at any level, it even at the lower levels of stuff, shoot, I coached freshman basketball once and just the amount of things that you have to think about gets really annoying when you just want to think about the basic things that will win the game or lose the game sort of decisions. But you got to manage timeouts. you got to think about who's subbing in. you got to think about who's got how many fouls. you got to think about, well, I didn't get this guy enough playing time in the last game, and his, I see his parents are in the, in the crowd for this game, so we gotta probably want to make sure we get him a, a couple extra minutes here. That is all the concerns of a freshman high school basketball coach. There are multitudes more things that you have to think about as an NFL head coach. And, yeah, it is your job. But it seems like guys should have a better handle on this, even as hard as it probably is. That seemed like a situation where where McDaniels, as aggressive as he can be sometimes, just got a little bit unaggressive and put a loss potentially back into play for the Raiders. It didn't work out that way, but the Packers at least had a crack at it. I think I probably would have gone for it and tried to end the game. That's all I've got on the game itself. I do want to give you just a, a brief update about what was what's going on, what kept me out off the, the podcast airwaves for the past week or so. Um, in January 2022, my grandma, uh, my dad's mom, so his he lost his dad, my grandpa, in May of 2022. We talked about that on the podcast. But in January 2022, my grandma was diagnosed with stage 4 lymphoma. Started at stage four. She's done pretty well for herself. It is, it's October 2023. She's given this fight a long time, but the things have not, the treatments have stopped working, basically. Uh, and she started hospice care on September 29th, the day after the Lions game. Our plan, our family's plan was to go out there last Thursday, coming from Northwest Iowa, go to, go to Wisconsin, spend some time with her, basically to say goodbye. Uh, but Tuesday morning, my dad gave me a call about nine 30 and said, you better get out of here. So we packed up the family, packed up the kids, threw everybody in the car. We went out to Wisconsin last Tuesday and spent the rest of the week, um, with family, you know, visiting with grandma, all that stuff. She's still going strong. Um, hospice care. I mean, you know what that means? The end is approaching. It's functionally it's here. Uh, so we're going to be making another trip back to Wisconsin here in the very near future. We don't know when that is. We don't know what what is what that's going to be like, or or how that's all going to play out here. Uh, but that's why last week got all wiped out. And um, you could just keep my family, my parents in particular, my my grandma obviously, in your thoughts and your prayers over these next few weeks, because it's it's been a tough road for my parents. They're grandma's primary caretakers. Um, they shoulder a lot of this burden and, you know, it's just hard. And, you know, I've mentioned in 
the relatively recent past this on this podcast there's been a lot of sickness in my family recently to put a bow on it it's been a rough month and a half here and we've got some tough stuff ahead here too and the start of the season at least from a podcasting perspective has really not gone how I hoped it would it seems like such a small thing to say in light of everything else that's going on, but it it's more a symptom of just the many things that we've had going on to start the season. I know everybody's got stuff going on. I just wanted you to know why the podcast schedule got interrupted last week, and there's a pretty good chance we're probably going to have an unscheduled interruption here again in the, the not-too-distant future. So that's what's going on with me. Um, Thank you for all your, your thoughts, um, for the people who did know about that. Now everybody else knows too. Um, that's what's going on with us and, and things are probably going to, probably going to have some unscheduled stuff here in the relatively near future. In the meantime, that's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you listening in. I appreciate your patience. I appreciate all the thoughts and, and just good stuff that you send our way, um, it makes this a lot of fun and it helps, you know, even if things haven't necessarily gone how I hope they would on or off the field for the Packers this year, uh, it does make it a lot of fun to continue to do this this podcast, which is a nice distraction from a lot of things. And uh, it, it lets me talk about something I enjoy. So uh, thank you for that. And, and thank you for sharing this episode with someone you think might enjoy it because that is the number one way that this show grows. I just I appreciate everybody who takes the time to do that because it gets more people involved in this conversation that we're having about the Green Bay Packers, which helps all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.